Well, thank you again for returning for the final session. I think this is the appropriate time to thank the Assemblies in Aberdeen for convening this conference. It's a privilege to share with my brother Douglas and it's a joy to be with you all. And we do trust that this last session, as we've just received a good word from our brother Douglas, will prove to be a time when God speaks to us and we're blessed again. So thank you once more. <coughs> Romans chapter 16, please. Our final chapter in our studies, Romans 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Kenkaria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but unto also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who were also, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urban, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labour in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which laboured much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia, Nereus, and his sister at Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, salute you. Verastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest in by the scriptures of the prophets 
according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations, for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory, through Jesus Christ, forever. Amen. I'm sure that God will bless the reading of the word of God. Now we've come to the end of the Roman epistle and it's almost a bit of a surprise, isn't it? You know, know, this huge treatise of the gospel and you've got a list of names at the very end. I am so glad that it ends this way. You know, I really am. I love the ending of Colossians 4 and I love the last little section of the letter to Philemon but I'm just so glad that the, the book that starts out with condemnation ends in commendation. That's pretty much the journey we're all on, brothers and sisters. You understand that, don't you? We were condemned in our sins, weren't we? That's where we were. We've been hearing it from our brother Douglas. No hope without God. Aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. And yet God in his mercy saved us. And he's justified us. And he's reconciled us. And one day he's going to glorify us. You know, this is the Roman epistle we're in, isn't it? And you know, he's now commending the very people he condemned at the very start lovely but I love it for another reason because you know I love the fact that the Apostle Paul was a people person I would say that any spiritual leader any shepherd in the assembly over and above the criteria of 1 Timothy 3 the first thing you look for is do they have a shepherd heart do they care for the people of God that's what you look for isn't it it doesn't take you too long to work it out Apostle Paul loved the people of God And he ends this incredible letter with a list of names of people that are important to him. People that he had met in his many travels. We've been hearing about all the travels and the missionary zeal and the vision the man had. And wherever he went, he connected with people. It's important, you know. You know, one of the great features of conferences, we get to fellowship with one another. People we've not seen for ages. Get to see them again. Connections. Fellowship. Apostle Paul made connections in all sorts of places and now some of them are in Rome and he's just dropping them a little line when he's at it. Lovely isn't it? Absolutely lovely. And so you can see the way that um, this latter section has ended. Chapter 12, we've got the demonstration of the power of the gospel and our responsibilities to God and to the assembly and then we've moved into chapter 13 to the government and to the world at large and then we've come back to my responsibility to my weaker brothers and sisters in the assembly and then it's gone out it's gone out to Jews and Gentiles and what a vision the man had for the best part of Europe isn't it we're just talking about whether he got to Spain or not but I tell you what he had a vision for the world I tell you it'd be a great thing if you've got a vision for the gospel don't get too parochial about gospel preaching have a vision for the world go into all the world and preach the gospel there was a day when this city sent out missionary after missionary after missionary those days could return you know and Scotland needs evangelists too remember that we need to brought a gospel preacher to have a vision for the gospel in your locality and wider and then we come to this chapter where we have the greeting section now just a kind of structure because um, you know when you've got a list of names you know uh, we could easily get bogged down so just a bit of a structure here the first two verses is a letter of commendation to Phoebe what a wonderful person she is so we've got commendation in the first two verses and then in verses 3 to 16 it says greetings to his friends in Rome 
And I'm going to group this into four categories in a minute. And uh, uh, I'll just say greetings to his friends in Rome just now, verses 3 to 16. And then, almost out the blue, at least that's the way I read it, we've got this warning. Verses 17 to 20 about false teachers. And I'm going to come to why it is so out of the blue in a minute. Because it does seem to almost sit uneasy in the text. A warning about false teachers in verses 17 to 21. And then you've got his greetings from Paul's companions in verses 21 to 23. Where Paul and one of the men lifts his pen. And Tertius, the Amiensis, writes, writes his greetings too. And all of Paul's companions send their greetings in verses 21 to 23. And then you've got this beautiful doxology at the end. One of the most amazing doxologies in our Bible, verses 24 to 27, to end this phenomenal epistle to the Romans. Now, that's the kind of structure, and let's deal with the first two verses. Commendation for Phoebe. I suppose we've got a model commendation letter over and above the doctrinal thesis of the book of Romans. You do have also the um, narrative at the start of chapter 1 about why he wants to come to Rome and the warmth of the the man that comes out just in the first few verses. Well, the warmth's definitely here as he picks up his pen to write a letter of commendation for Peavy. I don't know what your letters of commendation are like in your assembly, but sometimes I have to read them out, not very often, but from time to time I do, and you could almost do it in your, in your, in your, uh, in your sleep what's written on it. <coughs> we commend into your tender love and care, I don't know say that sometimes, but we commend into your care, our brother or sister who have been in fellowship for some time, okay? Well, I don't read too much of that in here. There seems to be a bit more elaborate letters of commendation written. And there's just something about the way it's done. He loved this woman. He cared for this woman. And he knew this woman. And he presents at least three things about her. She's a sister in the Lord. She's a servant of the church. And she's a succorer of many. These are three things that just jump out. So something of her character, something of her service, and that spiritual kinship, a sister in the Lord. That's a great thing to have sisters in the Lord, I'll tell you. Sisters in the Lord. One of the features of this tremendous chapter is the role of sisters. We're going to come to it in my early remarks, so I'll keep my powder dry for a bit, but I just want to make that one point. The role of sisters. This lady, this lady carried the letter of the Romans to the Roman assemblies. I tell you, they wouldn't give that responsibility out too easily, would they? To carry the letter of the Romans. Those who carry a letter, more than just the physical keeping it safe, I wouldn't have thought it would be easy to rewrite, you know. You'd have to protect it when the travels. And it's a pretty dangerous road. And, uh, but more than that, you wouldn't just entrust it with someone that was the ministry was out of kilter with. I take it that Phoebe was in keeping with the ministry of the letters to the Romans. She strikes me, you know, she was a woman a bit like Lydia up there in, in Philippi. Whatever we make of that, that last little section, uh, she's been a succorer of many. That word there um, carries the thought of a patroness. Sometimes we just wonder if she had the wealth for struggling Christians. We don't really know. Whether she was a Lydia-like character with an open home for the saints, it's hard to work out, but there seems to be a little suggestion that she was a woman of some substance and she was using her substance to help others. And this lady is given the responsibility to carry the letter of the Romans. She's a servant of the church, all right, there in Cancaria. <clears throat> and so the assembly down there in Corinth and in, also in Cancaria, they send their greetings to the assemblies in Rome and they commend the sister to their fellowship. 
And it's not the first time we have letters of commendation in our Bible. There are quite a few times they appear, you know. When Apollos has gone off to Corinth, the letters, the letters given to him in Ephesus, commending the brethren in Corinth to receive him. I hope we keep the practice up, brothers and sisters. It is scriptural. When somebody's unknown coming to your company. Now you say it's not foolproof, sure. Also Paul says in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, he didn't need a letter. He says to the Corinthians, you are my letter. Known and read of all men. He'd seen them all saved, <laughs> baptized, he'd seen the assembly planted. And so if you're known, it's not important. But the point is this, if you're not known, it is important. And there is a place for reception in God's assembly. Clearly taught. And here's an example of it. Now there's something about this starting point. You know, Phoebe's name is a Greek goddess's name. It's a moon goddess of the Greeks. She really was a bright star in her name, but I'll tell you what, she was a bright star in the assembly. I suspect in the assemblies here, you've got them in your assembly too. Bright stars. People that shine even when it's pretty tough going. People that have got an interest in the people of a sucker of many. Just support the people of God. Just get on with it quietly. Sisters, when I begin to read down the list of the sisters here, I suppose I'm now just getting beyond Phoebe. And let me just speak about these list of sisters then we've got here. <clears throat> Have a little look with me at verse number 6. Salute, or rather greet Mary. One of the six Marys of our Bible. Greet Mary who bestowed much labour on us. Look at verse 12. Salute, uh, sorry, I... Uh, salute, verse 12 salute Tryphena and Tryphosa two sisters who labour in the Lord look again at verse 12 salute the beloved Persis which laboured much in the Lord are you getting the picture here every time he mentions one of these sisters these single sisters I believe every time he mentions them he speaks about their labouring much in the Lord and they're labouring much in the Lord and they're labouring much in the Lord and they're a succorer of many. What would you say about these, the, the role of the... They were supporters, they were succorers, they were helpers. <coughs> you know, we need you sisters. Sometimes you don't give an awful lot of ministry to single sisters. We need you. And there's roles that you can play that no one else can play. You see those two sisters there, Tryphena and Tryphosa, that I've just mentioned? Possibly two sisters. You know, I know some of you may know that there's a bit of a dispute what their names mean. Some think it's dainty and um, delicate, and some folk think it's dainty and disdain. Well, I hope it isn't that, okay? At least for disdain, I hope it's not, okay? I hope it's dainty and delicate. But you know, there's just something about these two sisters. When our children were growing up, you know, there was two sisters in our assembly. Two single sisters and sisters in the blood and sisters in the Lord. And they stayed together. One's going to heaven now. But they would take all our children away. And they would give them iron brew when we went to live it. And they would take them to McDonald's when we were going through our you know, good eating area. You know, they, would, they would give them things to do. And they would take them away for the night and they would have sleepovers in our house. And our kids loved them. Loved them. Helped them. They taught them Bible stories. They sang with them. They looked after them. They're special to me. They're even more special to my children. 
every assembly needs you. We need trifenals and trifosa. We need them. We need, we need Phoebes. We need Persises. We need people who are prepared to work at the assembly. And at the end of this incredible letter, who's right on the list? The sisters. The sisters. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's not allow all of the society's values about gender and all that, all that big debate that's going on, to lose sight of the fact that there's a very specific role for single sisters in our companies. Very specific role. By the way, I should just point out here that one of them was a Hebrew woman and one of them was a Greek woman and one was a Persian woman. You start looking at the names Persis and Mary and so on, you'll discover they're all different ethnicities. They all come from different countries. But they're all in fellowship in one of the assemblies in Rome. You know, I did mention in passing in chapter 14 something about this, but I want to say it now. Of the 26 individuals in this chapter, 24 of them named, of the 26 individuals in this chapter, almost all of them are not Romans. I think about six of a Latin name. In other words, they came from different parts of the world. And they came to be a blessing to the assemblies in Rome. You know, brothers and sisters, I've just been speaking to people at the back today. And we've been, we've been speaking a little bit of Indian languages, you know. We've been, we've, been, we've been seeing a connection with a place, thousands of miles from here, in a place called Kurnul. And my granddad wrote to a man there, when I was this height, I prayed for that place. I prayed for a man called David Arm. I didn't know who he was. Translated the present truth into Telugu. Years later, I was the only one that was allowed to meet him, because the rest had gone to heaven. And from a miner's council house in Balingri, on a typewriter, a friendship emerged between two men thousands of miles away with Christ. Christ. And I had the privilege of meeting that man and preaching there in Kurnul. And that's what I'm learning here. There's a migration of saints from different parts of the world. And now some of these people from that very place are here, living in Aberdeen, to the blessing of the assemblies here. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? Met a brother here from Estonia. Met a brother here from Moldova. Isn't that wonderful? The missionaries went out and they were a blessing from here to other countries. And now it's gone the other way. Brilliant. And that's what we're seeing here. Let's be very careful then when we speak about migration because God has used it. Now, sisters, what about married couples? We'll look at verse number three. Verse number three. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life laid down their own necks, literally neck actually, literally their own throat to the axe is the actual word, unto whom not only I give thanks but also the churches of the Gentiles. What a remarkable couple this is <clears throat> and they're not the only couple, we'll come to a few more but the, the point is this, Priscilla and Aquila Brother Douglas mentioned it in passing you might remember the first time they met up was in a place called Corinth and they took in a lodger that day tent makers they took in a, they took in a man that we know as the Apostle Paul I, I would love to have, I'd love to have been a, in, in the first conversation, where have you been recently? Oh I was up there in uh, Philippi we had some meetings and uh, you know and we got thrown in jail and there was an earthquake and a man got saved and uh, you know 
another woman got saved called Lydia and a soothsayer girl got saved and then we moved on because of the trouble and we got to we got to a place called Thessalonica and uh, you know it was a, a great blessing but there was a big rumpus and we had to leave and we got to Berea and the mob brought them to Berea but some of the brethren took us on a boat and we got to Athens and I preached in Athens up there in Mars Hill and, and yeah, my two brothers said uh, yeah, they, they, they came to me <laughs> Uh, Timothy and, uh, and Titus but I've sent them back again but they're going to come here can they lodge here for the night because they've seen a lot of blessing up there and quite a few assemblies planted I tell you it must have been some conversation that night eh? I don't know when you think Priscilla and Aquila got saved but I rather think Apostle Paul had something to do with it whether they were already converts we can have that old debate but I, I tell you there's something about a special connection that emerged that night in Corinth and this couple what about them Everywhere they go, there seems to be a church in their house. There seem to be people who prosper. Whatever their tent business was, they seemed to be, they seemed to be a, a prosper enough business because they seem to have a big enough house for the saints. Where they went. When they went to Ephesus, Corinth, Rome, you name it. And they had an interest in God's people. And by the way, one of the features of Priscilla is she knew her Bible. We were just speaking about a couple just yesterday. And we were just speaking about how the, 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 the sister we both knew knew her Bible really well. Brothers and sisters, the idea that Bible studies for the men is never found in the Bible, anywhere. And Priscilla knew her Bible so well she could take a skilled teacher like Apollos and show him a thing or two about the scriptures so that he was a much better preacher having met Priscilla. So there's all sorts of roles for married couples, isn't it? She couldn't have done that as a single sister so well. But she did it well as a married couple because, you know, this single brother's in her home as a married couple. And she was able to do it. What a tremendous gratitude, no doubt, Apollos would have for Priscilla as a result of Aquila. Now these, this couple here are representative of other couples. Look at verse number 7. Salute Andronicus and Junius. So here's a couple here. Now whether they're husband and wife or whether they're brother and sister, we don't really know. But here we are. And there's another couple. What does it say about them? They're my fellow prisoners. So they must have been in the jail either with Paul or at some point near to Paul's because of the gospel he must have suffered for the cause of Christ he says there are no among the apostles he says all the apostles know about this couple and they're like us in Kenya he says you know what they were in Christ before me Paul you were saved a long time ago oh he says well I but they got saved before me that's what happens by the way when you get saved you come into Christ if any man be in Christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things become new they may have even got saved when Peter was preaching down there at Pentecost this is one of the originals perhaps here they are Paul says they got saved before me he says my fellow prisoners they're my kinsmen he says they're of the same nationality he says but he says you know what we all know about them they're just a remarkable pair and if you notice then when it comes to the couples and there's other couples and let me just mention them when we're passing verse 15 salute by Philologus and Julia that name that I'm finding hard to pronounce Philologus means a lover of the word I hope he was I hope he lived up to his name but can you not see a bit of a, a theme emerging with these couples? They seem to have an interest in the word of God. They seem to have an interest in, the, in, 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 in sacrificing for it. Some of them have been in prison for it. Certainly Priscilla and Aquila sacrificed too. And they have an interest in the saints. 
And there's just something about their work. Maybe also verse 15, Nearest and his sister. Here's another couple, maybe a brother and sister there. But the point is this, that there's words specifically addressed to encourage them. You know, there's married couples in this room. And you spend your whole life serving the saints. Can I say, we salute you. We salute you. We need you. You're important to us. You're vital to the testimony. Absolutely crucial. You've sacrificed for the right reasons. Every time I'm asked to take a wedding of a young married couple, and we have a few conversations before they get married, it's one of the things I always say to them. No matter how little money you've got, open your door to God's people. Make your home a sanctuary for the people of God. Give them a place. A place where they can be safe. A place where they can have fellowship. A place where they can be loved. We've got a situation, brothers and sisters, where our doors are hard fast sometimes to the saints. Not good. But sometimes these couples can play roles that the rest of us can't. And it seems to be they're singled out here for that role that they've got. And particularly that role in sacrifice. Now, <clears throat> now come with me to single men. Come with me to verse number 5 now. Verse 5. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. So that was Priscilla and Aquila. Salute my well-beloved Eponetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. So it looks like we've got a single man here. He, if, if, if the King James Version stands, he's the first fruits of Achaia along with Stephanus. If he accepts some manuscript changes and it's Asia, well, he's from the Ephesus and wider proconsular area of Asia. But the point is this he was one of the first saved when the gospel came. When the gospel came to him. And he says, Here's Ebenezer, and he's the first fruits of Achaia. Now, notice these single men. I want you to see if you can see a theme emerging. Look at verse number 8. Salute. Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. By the way, there's an actual road and there's a cemetery of an old Christian burial ground um, which people can visit. And the burial ground is dated to the first century, early second century, and there's a grave in it with the name Amplia. And I often wonder, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't the same man, but I like to think, you know, if it is the same man, you could write in his grave these words Beloved in the Lord, beloved in the Lord. Waiting the day of resurrection. Look at verse number 9. Salute Urban, our fellow helper in Christ. So this Urbanus, or Urban, here, he's a fellow worker in Christ. Look at the next man. Stachys, my beloved. Salute Urban, Stachys, my beloved. Look at the next man in verse 10. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. The word there is proved after trial. Must have been some difficulty, some trial in his faith, and he's come through it, and everybody can see the difference. Everybody can see the effect. You can see the man Olympus there in verse number uh, 15. Salute. Olympus is another single man. And then this last man uh, in verse number 11. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Maybe he came from Herod's family, this man. But have you noticed something? That in this we've gone through the list of the seven single men in the list, quite commonly, 
there's something being stressed my well beloved Epinetus my beloved in the Lord Amplius my Stachus my beloved Urbanus my fellow worker so Apelles approved in Christ there's just something about the language that's been used and they've got a special love about them and there's something about their sacrifice as well and their service and their salvation he gives thanks for their salvation almost every time but there's a special bond of love single men here there's a special service for you in the assembly special service for you in the assembly Apostle Paul regarded it in one case here perhaps there was a huge trial for it some of us have seen people go through trial and we've seen the effect on them we've seen Christ in them as a result but there's something about a special service not everybody you know is free to do things not everybody's got the got the opportunity to do things but perhaps you have the opportunity to do something that others can't do and there's just something about the special love and the special service that seems to come out to me anyway out of this, uh, out of this list here of the, of, the, of, the, of the people of the single men by the way some of them would be old and some would be young it's not just all the different types of uh, racial issues we see but we see old and young here and Jews and Gentiles, different names we've been hearing about this division of Jew and Gentile it's all different names here it doesn't really matter what their background is their social standing, they're all beloved in Christ. What about households? What about servants? What about mothers and sons and fathers and families? Well, look at verse 10. Second clause of verse 10. Salute them which are of Aristobulus, his household. So we've got a household here. By the way, this man Aristobulus, there was a very famous Aristobulus who was the grandson of Herod the Great. And if you read people like Bishop Lightfoot and all the rest of it, you know, there's an elaborate discussion about, you know, all sorts of things about this man. It's the same man. And it's interesting that this verse appears just before verse 11. Herodian, my kinsman. And it would be the same connection. The same connection. And so there's the possibility we've got a bit of aristocracy here. Somebody of a, of not from the slave background in the list here. Perhaps somebody belonging to Herod's family was here. Remember the Apostle Paul speaks some years later, of course, when he was in Rome, writing to the Philippians about Caesar's household, all getting saved. You don't know. Maybe this is one of them. I don't know who's all in the list. But there was aristocracy. It was people from the very court. People from the Praetorium. Yeah, there was just something here about royalty. Now look at verse 11. Salute them of the household of Narcissus that are in the Lord. Again, people have tried to see if it's uh, the same Narcissus of a certain freed man who was eventually put to death by Nero's mother, Agrippina. But you know what? We don't know. But what I'm beginning to get is in these households, whether they're households of slaves or whether they're households of sons and daughters, I'm beginning to see there's a distinction. I'm seeing a high class and I'm seeing a low class. You know, you've got slave names and you've got royalty. When we get to the end of the chapter, there's a man called Quartus. Some folk think his name is number four. Fourth slave. You know, in the assembly, you know, all social status goes. I'm not up here because of my academic qualifications. I have nothing against that. You know my background, you'll know I have nothing against academic qualifications. But I'll tell you what, 
it's got absolutely nothing to do with the assembly. When it comes to social hierarchies, which the world's full of, the assembly is the total negation of it. We're all the same here. We're all just sinners saved by grace, a lot of us. We all love the same Lord. We're all on the same list in the greetings, and there's no change. And so when we get to the end of the list, we'll go, I'll ask this the, why, the chamberlain, the very treasure of the city. And the next verse is Quartus the brother. There's just something beautiful, isn't it, about the hierarchies. But you've also got intergenerational. Look at the mothers and sons. Look at verse 13, in terms of households. Look at verse 13. Salute Rufus. By the way, that means red hair. Whether he was ginger, I don't know, right? But it's a possibility, right? You get all sorts of hair colouring in the assembly as well, right? Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. What a remarkable statement that is. Now, you see, Rufus, have I not read somewhere in Mark's Gospel about him? Have I not read? Did Mark not say something about a Rufus? <coughs> oh yeah, where it was? Oh, Mark 15. It's Simon the Cyrenian, who carried the Lord's cross. That he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And that Mark didn't qualify it, so everybody knew who Rufus was. Is this the same Rufus? I hope it is. I rather think it is. So Rufus's dad was chosen to carry the cross of Christ. Maybe young Rufus was in his mother's arms when it happened. Maybe he saw him. Out of everybody in the world, he was chosen to do it. He'd never be the same again. If it's the same Simon the Serene and he gets up to Antioch and Acts 13, you know, he became a, a remarkable man in the assembly too. But there's just something about now Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord. There's something special about him being marked out. A precious one, a choice one. There's a special service for him, and he's still with his mum. Have you noticed that? Intergenerational. His mother, perhaps now, Simon the Serenian's dead. Maybe he's passed away, maybe his brother's away. There's just the two of them. But there's something about the natural relationship it moves on to a spiritual relationship. One of the things I like about the conference here is that we've got old and young together. We were always told to teach the lambs along with the, the youths and with the, 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 the mothers with our children. And it's just wonderful to see us all with different generations working together. Just be a privilege to see it. Brothers and sisters, keep it that way. Protect it. Preserve it. And there's just something about all these different generations, whether it was young men or older sisters, and they're, and they're, and they're being written to by Paul. And perhaps the carrying of the Saviour's cross had such an impact on him that this man, Rufus and his mum served the Lord with renewed vigour a glimpse of the sufferings of Christ changes people brothers and sisters if really we want to be inspired we need to get back to Calvary a lot of us get back to the Saviour seem to affect them and then I want you to notice that not only is there single sisters and couples and, um, and single brethren and then households and mothers and daughters I also want you to see there's various assemblies being written to notice please verse 5 salute the church that is in their house notice please verse number 14 salute us and Critus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes and the brethren which are with them there's a clearly a group of believers and they're together. Notice verse 15. Salute Philologus and Julia and Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them. Notice verse number 16. The churches of Christ salute you. So that there's a variety of assemblies. 
I do believe that the gospel had spread throughout the city and one assembly couldn't cope and there was other assemblies just like happened here in Aberdeen number of assemblies in one city and you see I thought it was only one well I think there's more than one I know that's a bit of a debate but I don't think it's too much of a debate I think it's quite clearly there's a variety of assemblies in this city but they're in fellowship with one another or you say I hope you don't not taken away from the autonomous nature of a local assembly no I believe that with all my heart I believe there were seven golden lampstands and every assembly was was answering to Christ alone I really do I believe that it's a truth taught in scripture a little bit of history just give me one second 130 years ago there was a number of magazines circulated around these parts one was called the Believer's Magazine one was called the the Harvester one was called the Treasury I've got some of them I can read them what they were writing about and they were all writing about reception all of them and one said you know you know what there's no such thing as a local assembly we're just in the body all of us in the body there's no such thing as a local church at all we're just in the body and what we do is if we don't like something that's over there like that clerisy we just withdraw from it we just withdraw from it but everybody's in the body who's in the area and Aberdeen we're all in the body and therefore there's no such thing as a local church well that's not in scripture we are in the body when you get saved but there is such a thing as a local church in an area gathered to his name alone anyway another group said no hang on a minute there is such thing as local churches but you know what um, these local churches uh, we, we receive people on the basis of life not light so everybody who's saved just comes to us okay another group said and I'll try not to name them but some of you will know who it is so now hanging them out here we need order we need order what we'll do is we'll draw a circle around all of these assemblies here and we'll put in some regional and some national oversight and we'll make sure that absolutely everybody does exactly the same thing in all of these assemblies and we'll make sure that you can only receive from these assemblies and there was a little man who spent some time in Aberdeen who walked an interesting walk from Aberdeen to watch a morning meeting he started the Believer's Magazine called John Ritchie and he says what does the scripture say those that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and the breaking of bread and the prayers and taught what assembly reception looks like and I know I'm preaching to people that believe that today but we need to retain that and so they taught that a local church did receive Christians if they were baptized and they were willing to continue steadfast in the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers but they believed that those local assemblies were answering to Christ alone not part of some bigger church or system but they also realized that their brothers and sisters elsewhere they wanted fellowship with it's a wonderful thing to have the assemblies in Aberdeen willing to come to a conference together this fellowship, this inter-assembly fellowship I think it's a good thing you know if one of the assemblies has a series of gossip meetings you think about maybe putting off your prayer meeting to support them I think it's good you know when there's something going on that you pray about it and support it in prayer 
And here's a letter being written, and they're all interested in it. Just like the letter that was written to Ephesus, Smyrna got a copy of it. And the letter that was written to Thyatira, I Sardis got a copy of it too. And so they managed to get a, the same letter, because you see the truth contained therein was as pertinent to them as it was anywhere else. And brothers and sisters, not only do we need to maintain unity in our, the assembly that we form apart, we need to do whatever we can to strive for unity between assemblies. And this letter still hints at that. Now, now let's go to verses 17 to 20. Because there's a warning against false teachers. And we're almost... The tone and the style has suddenly changed. Uh, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offences contrary to the doctrine. Apostle Paul's coming to the end and he's, he's just beginning to think now. You know what? That work in Rome. Those assemblies in Rome... They could be spoiled. They could be spoiled. They could be, they could be affected by troublemakers. He's mentioned a them a few times throughout the letter. So it's come to a head. And he says these troublemakers, he says they've got three particular strategies. First of all, verse 17, they stir up division and they put stumbling blocks in the way. You'll see that there at the end of verse 17. Offences contrary to the doctrine cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine and which you've learned and avoid them these are people who don't work with people's consciences they positively exploit them these are people that create dissent these are people who teach wrong doctrine they put blockers up this is, that's what they're like number one they cause dissent they put stumbling blocks in the way number two what else do they do well look at verse 18 He says, they are slaves, not to Christ, but their own appetites. He says, they serve their own belly. He says, they're enslaved to their own ideas. Perhaps he's thinking of the mystic freedoms that we've been touching on in previous meetings. Uh, And this idea that, you know, that some of them thought that they were above and beyond it's such speculative reasoning and such, such, such spiritual thoughts that they could just indulge the flesh down here and they didn't have any rules and regulations and flaunted it and they just served their own belly because in Philippians it speaks about whose God is their belly I think it's the same folk he's referring to they don't care about you and I they're just slaves to their own appetites it's all about them he says that's them number three he says they deceive the hearts of unsuspecting people with fair and flattering speeches. That's what he says in verse 18. By good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the people. Do you remember when the book of the Genesis opened and Adam and Eve are in the garden how the devil comes to them in the guise of a serpent and he speaks very smooth and soft words has God said do you remember how flattering and soothing and persuasive he was you know it doesn't surprise to me that when you get to verse 20 you'll realise that Satan's at work this platform here could easily be filled with someone who could fill it right out to there in fact the bigger auditorium he's got this power of oratory flattery persuasive speeches can I make you all laugh? Put you up and put you down. Highs and lows. Emotional resonance. And there's plenty of people like that. But they come from Satan. Don't be thinking that we're looking for mega churches. 
We're looking for God-honoring teachers who will teach the Word of God in a way that's becoming. And he says, there's people here, he says, they've got fair speeches. And he says, I'm worried about you. He says, they deceive the hearts of the simple. That's the, the simple of the, the, the saints who are incapable of making fine distinctions between right and wrong and become easy prey. By the way, the sure remedy for that is get to know your Bible. Saints, you're under attack. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He says, your obedience has come to me. He's very complimentary, you know. He says, I love you. And he says, I am conscious that I'm hearing reports of your obedience and I'm glad about that. He's very complimentary in verse 19, but he says, he says, I would want this for you. I want you wise to that which is good and simple, that means sincere, harmless, unadulterated, unmixed concerning that which is evil. By the way, I'm, I'm so glad he said it that way. I'm so glad he didn't say, I want you sincere or simple to that which is good and wise to that which is evil. I'm so glad he put it the other way around. You don't have to get wise about that which is evil. You don't have to know about all the wicked things in the world. But you do need to get wise to that which is good. You need to know all the righteous truths in your Bible. You need to learn about Christ. It's the greatest antidote of them all. And you need to have an awareness of the unmixed sincerity that's required concerning evil. You stay away from it. And anything that's false, that we stay away from it. Now, he ends with just a, a warm exhortation to them. He says, I want to tell you the God of peace shall bruise Satan into your feet shortly. As he thinks of these assemblies there in Rome, his mind turns to the invisible world of Satan. And then he goes to the higher power of God. The very God of peace. And he knows that the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. And he says he's going to, he goes back to Genesis, doesn't he? There's an allusion there to it. When he says he's going to bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Now we know that's true ultimately. We know that. Uh, we know that Satan was denuded at the cross. And we know that one day his power will be absolutely disannulled and he will be placed in the, in, the, in the abyss for a thousand years and ultimately in the lake of fire. We know that from our Bibles. But he's also saying here, under your feet shortly, there's a present victory which he's encouraging them to enjoy. A present victory which he wants them to get into. Peter, we can't fight against that lion. It walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We, have, we, have, we, can't, we, have, we can't resist the devil. He says, resist him. Not on your own strength. He says, resist him steadfastly. Not on your own strength. He says, resist him steadfastly in the faith. That's the answer. Lift your Bible, Christian. Because the devil's after us all. It's only through the scriptures. It's only through the faith that we will withstand with we've no power against them at all. But there's a victory here that can be enjoyed. And a present triumph is not ruled out, even although the future is very much secure. <clears throat> and so, you can see he moves from this heavy warning to the greetings. And he begins to greet them from Timothy. And I better watch my time. So when you've had a two-day conference and you go over your time in the last session, the saints say, it's no good. Right, so I'm closing, right? But I want to say this. Those greetings there, if I'm right, they're all picked up on the second missionary journey. Every one of them. And on the third missionary journey, all of them are there. I, I like it to be looked by. I know some of you don't like Lucius, and they tell me that it's different names, and they all say that Luke and Lucas comes from two different routes and that. But I tell you what, he's the only one that's outstanding then, because all the rest of them are there on the second missionary journey, and they're all there on the third. 
And I'll leave that with you as a thought. But the point is this. Tertius the third takes his pen. And he writes, Salute you in the Lord. And Paul takes his pen and writes about Gaius. From, he'd baptized him there in Corinth when he first went. And Erastus, my Gaius, he's now li- he'd been living with him for a while. And Erastus the Chamberlain, by the way, God can save the rich people as well. He can save the people in high positions of power, as well as Quartus the brother, and he sends greetings. And as the apostle lays down his pen, and you ever read Hanley Mooley, it's a beautiful last section about how Tertius and they all go away, and the apostle Paul's left with his own pen. As he thinks of these poor saints, and he thinks of the, the big fight between law and Gentiles and Jews, and the issues of the scrupulous nature of their, of their consciences over dietary issues and as he thinks of the, of the antinomian uh, evil that could possibly come in as he thinks of the devil that wants to crush the assembly life he then looks up and he remembers the grace of God and he says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all he remembers how it was grace that saved them in the first place he remembers how he taught them in chapter number 3 about grace being justified freely by his grace. And then he remembers this great doxology of the power of God now to him that is of power to establish you. And he remembers the power and the reservoir of strength that they can have. And he remembers how he started his lever that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And as he begins to lift his pen he remembers too something of the, the, the personal nature of the gospel. He says now the power to establish you according to my gospel. A gospel that had come to him on the Damascus road. And that he preached. <clears throat> he says in the preaching of Jesus Christ. And he remembers how the preaching of that gospel had changed Gentiles and pagans and Jews to Christ. And then he remembers the great divine purpose. The revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. He remembers how... Gentiles have been brought into the blessing of, of, of salvation and how although the Jews are hardened in their heart how God will restore them one day and he remembers how these things have been revealed and he remembers the great purpose and he remembers the prophecies he says but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets he's quoted extensively from the Old Testament and he's found the New Testament revelation has shone upon the Old Testament scriptures and he's seen how the scriptures are being fulfilled and he remembers the great permanency of the everlasting God as he comes to the end, he remembers what is produced. A gospel for all nations, for the obedience of faith. I started his epistle. He started this epistle speaking about the obedience which consists in faith. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. And that's what's been produced. And he realises that God is all in all. The preeminence of God is before him. And as he lifts, lays down his pen, he says, To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, we are on the victory side, and our God is greater than all our foes. And no matter what difficulties there are in assembly life, in civil society, in our personal lives, our God is greater, and the reservoirs of strength are there. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.